Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Happy 85th birthday today to the legendary late-night talk show host, Dick Cavett, who interviewed every famous person you can imagine during his decades on television. He joined me in 2015 to discuss his must-read book, Brief Encounters, a collection of his most memorable celebrity anecdotes. Mr. Cavett, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, just start with, how did you get the idea to do it? I mean, did you think this would be a good, you know, gift for the holidays? Or how, how did the idea come about to do the book? Apparently it is a good gift for the holidays. Every horse I go, somebody told me they've gotten two copies of it, uh, <laughs> having already ripped open their Christmas present. <laughs> but, um, you know, and in a way, the book is the kind of book I'm always looking for to read because... As you get older, it's harder to start a 700-page novel on page one and start climbing up Mount Everest. Right. And I tend to open a book anywhere and see if it interests me. But this is the kind of book you can put on the bedside table, and each piece is short enough that you get a little dose of reading and go to sleep. <laughs> you say the bedside, or Mel Brooks says the bathroom. He says it's the best bathroom reading ever written. Yes, he took it to a higher level. <laughs> and said, uh, you know, that it was perfect bathroom reading because each of the pieces was just the right length. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of uh, Mel Brooks, I love the anecdote that you had in there of when Mel Brooks would put the key in the door at night and say, oh, good, the, the party's about to begin. The book's filled with a bunch of little anecdotes like that. Do you do you have a personal favorite of stories that are in there or, or a chapter? I, I don't have a single favorite, but uh, I like when one causes people to say the thing I liked about your piece about Jonathan Winters or Stan Laurel or uh, or a politician or Muhammad Ali or whatever, is the little things you're able to put in like that that we would not otherwise hear or know about. And uh, actually, my wife Martha told that to Mel, but when the, I hear the key in the lock, I know that, oh good, the party's starting. And he was quite moved. He had never heard it before. That, yeah, you know. there's a ton of them in there um, that, are, that are like that. Um, Jimmy Fallon writes the forward in this thing. Um, what are your thoughts on him as as the current host, or, or in general the the entire late night scene today compared to back when you were doing? You know, Kimmel, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, the whole the whole shebang. Well, the problem I have with that subject is that I know all of them, <laughs> so that should there be one I don't like, it would be difficult to talk. <laughs> <laughs> what What do some of them do well then? Well, I I, I think um, starting for a moment with Fallon, the fact that I've watched him for years and that we we met one night in the dark around Gramercy Park in New York late at night. We were both coming from different things and we sort of hit it off and talked for about an hour and a half and have been friends ever since. And then as he tells in the thing, he was <laughs> moved when I called him on his first day doing a talk show, the day that he went on the air. And uh, and I've had fun being on with him. And I, it's just remarkable, though, to me that he was able to find in his hectic life 
of getting out of a talk show into the Tonight Show to write such a, a funny and, to me, moving forward to this book. It was just great. Did you want to mention any of the well, other... people tell me, speaking about the difference, um, they miss a show that has people on for a longer time. Right. I found it easier to do 90 minutes than I would to now to do seven minutes with a guest. I admire uh, both Stuart and Colbert for their ability to get in in a very short segment, both wit and intelligence, and in Colbert's case, the genius ability to think as two people at the same time before speaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, his character and himself. Yeah, exactly. And when you did it, you had, like you said, you had much longer um, interviews. Um how much preparation would go into those? How much of it is prepared versus kind of winging it based on, you know, being a good listener to what they're yeah, saying? Yeah, well, that varied, all, that varied all over the place because there are some people, as you said, don't even bother giving me any notes. Uh, we're going to be fine together. I know them, or I don't know them, but I know we'll be good together, or her. Uh, um, and then Miss Hepburn startled me by saying, let's just do it now, and it was supposed to be two days later. And that turned out to two of the best 90-minute shows I ever had without preparation. So uh, there's no rule. At the beginning, I stuck so rigidly to my notes that I didn't even hear what the guest had just said. Right. Um, and, and it would be as if they said, I just, and then, Dick, we opened this old trunk, and you'll never guess what was inside. And I wasn't listening and would say, do you have any hobbies? <laughs> it, it, it wasn't why, that bad, but almost. I know, why aren't you asking about the trunk? <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> do you have, uh, I mean, you mentioned a couple. Do you have any other, um, you know, really, really memorable ones over there? I mean, I'm sure people have asked you to name a favorite, but that's probably really tough. But do you have any that just come to mind as some of I can't them? name, there's no winner in such a vast category, you know, with so many different types of things that... Uh, but if I were pinned to the floor, I would have to say Groucho meant the most to me in the most number of ways. Right. Having been an adoring fan and somehow traveling an arc to which I became a family friend of his, <laughs> as well as on the air seven or eight times and uh, going to dinner with Groucho. And Here's a quickie. Right. Groucho wants out, the dinner party, sneaking out, a snotty hostess. She comes over and says, leaving so soon, Mr. Marks. Groucho said, I had a wonderful evening, eh? but this wasn't it. <laughs> That's perfect. <Do> you, <laughs> it is perfect. Do you have a favorite? That's the word. Do you have a favorite uh, Marx Brothers flick, Duck Soup, uh, Night at the Opera? Any of them? Any personal favorite? I, I keep thinking that Duck Soup probably is superior to Night at the Opera in ways I can't quite describe. I agree. Yeah. I always find it a shame when young people, although many of them learn to love the Marx Brothers on television, but to not have the experience I did a couple years ago again of being in a movie theater right. when a Marx Brothers movie plays and the roaring laughter of the audience around you, you suddenly, it's as if the movie is being performed better than it was when you saw it on television. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you get that community experience of everyone laughing. At exactly. That, that, that You're just surrounded and buoyed up by laughter. Man, they are they are just anarchist political commentary. I mean, it's, a, it's just hilarious stuff. Yeah, um, great stuff. Physical comedy. And this year, this will shock you, this year, I have had to endure two questions. Who were the Marx Brothers? Ooh. 
And who was Johnny Carson? Ooh, who asked these uh, questions and what do you respond? Uh, Members of the ignorant young people of today who have no interest (laughs) in anything or knowledge of anything that took place before their birth. <laughs> before before the internet started, yeah. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it better be. Do you know what? Um, do you remember what you told these these people to ask that, or do you just shake your head and do you just ignore the question, or do you try to explain it? I think I think I just turned and got on a bus that I didn't even want to be on. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned young people. Some other the younger people in our radio station. When I mentioned I was interviewing you, they they said, "Oh, the guy in Forrest Gump that interviewed John." It's funny how... Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, what's wrong with me and Beetlejuice? (laughs) Exactly. Well, maybe they missed that one. What was your reaction when you you saw that Gump scene? I just interviewed Tom Hanks at the Kennedy Center Honor, so that that scene has been on the brain of you and and, and, and Lennon. Yeah, uh, I I shot it, of course, with Tom alone. Right. And then John was put in electronically. And there have been people who are so dumb their ears rub, as a friend of mine used to say as a kid, who asked me how old I was when I shot that scene with John on my show, <laughs> which means they couldn't have been even listening to the scene. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly, exactly. They had a double there in case uh, Yoko sued <laughs> and to shoot the scene a different way. And the guy looked so much like John that when he walked around the studio a lot, people just fell over practically and turned pale and started to faint. <laughs> I don't know what's become of him now, but he uh, he could pose as a ghost at parties and get a lot of money. Speaking of uh, John Lennon, recount your story real quick on him and Yoko Ono in bed at the St. Regis. Oh, I was told to go over to the hotel, uh, and to, it was how I met them and see if they would approve me for being on the show. Yeah. And John was so instantly friendly, and she too, in her way, um, that uh, I actually I made him laugh quickly. He said, you know, you've got the only halfway intelligent show on television. And I said, would, why would you want to be on a halfway intelligent show? <laughs> and he thought that was funny, and we were immediately friends. Then we fade to black, and I'm sitting with George Harrison years later. And when I inform him that Yoko sat in that chair two weeks earlier, he immediately leapt out of it and started brushing himself off. <laughs> but she has a good sense of humor. Exactly. Well, that's good. Um, and you mentioned um, you mentioned Johnny Carson a few minutes ago. Um, what made him such a good interview? I mean, you you two were two of the best that ever did it. And, you know, as a peer, what, what, what made him so special? I don't know. He was born gifted. You never know what makes somebody good. It's certainly undemocratic, the gift... His gifts are not distributed equally any more than people suffer equally in their lives. And it's just a gift, uh, a, a sort of a, a God-given gift, I suppose, and certainly a good thing for him to have since the rest of his life was pretty unpleasant. Yeah, and what, what do you think it was for you? If you could, you know, if you could drop any sort of humility for a second, step outside your own body and analyze yourself as an interviewer, what do you think it was that made you such a good interviewer? I have no idea, but I know what I keep getting told and began to realize I was hearing over and over was a guest saying after maybe a 90-minute show or other, uh, how the hell you got me to talk about that? I <laughs> don't know. I can't believe I did. And I said, well, why did you? 
and they would say in various ways, well, you made me so comfortable, I, I, I practically forgot we were on television, <laughs> <laughs> which that... can be dangerous. All right. Well, hey, Mr. Cabot, thanks so much. You want to just do a final sell on the book? Uh, it's called Brief Encounters, and you're going to love every second of it. All right. Mr. Cabot, it's an honor, a pleasure. <laughs> uh, I've admired you for a long time, so thank you very much for joining us on WTOP. Okay, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.